Well, good morning. You know, is it uh, last week I was uh, shopping for a car with my boy. It reminded me of some of the experiences I've had. You can think some of, through some of the stories you may have had. If they were, were they all wonderful? Or might there be some horror stories? Well, let's just assume for a minute that you're going looking for a car and you've got a ethical, honest, used car salesman. Okay, let's just, and I'm sure that that's probably normal for the industry. I've not always come across such folk, but let's just say you've got this guy who is committed. He's not going to ever tell you anything not true about the car. And as you're looking at a model, he says, you know what? This car has the highest resale of any car that's out there today. And this car doesn't, statistics show, this car will break down much less than any other car. And, and this car has got an incredible suspension. It feels like you're, you're riding in a lazy boy. And, and this vehicle, J.D. Power says that it rated this car number one in safety. And, and everything he says is absolutely true. But he doesn't tell you the whole story, does he? Maybe you stop and you look. If he was, he'll tell you the whole story. He might say, you know, it's got an incredible suspension, but... Because of that, the tires are special tires. They cost you about 500 bucks a shot and they wear out quicker than normal tires. And this car is gonna cost you about five times more to insure. And it really doesn't break down as often, but when it breaks down, it's gonna be about four times as much money and time to get. And if you wanna talk about insuring this baby, oh man, if he gave you the whole story, you might think again. I think we do this kind of thing in the church because we talk about, you know, commit your life to Christ, which is a wonderful thing, right? We're sold on this. And you get a new relationship with God and a new heart and a new trajectory and a new destiny and new vision and new purpose in life. And, and it's a wonderful deal. And it is. But let's, sometimes we forget the fine print. You also get a new enemy. Now, you get a new relationship with God, but you also get a new relationship with hell. We normally don't mention that so, so much. And you go, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. No one's ever told me about this new relationship with hell, this new relationship with Satan. What is this about? And what, what am I me? I've done nothing to, I've not challenged him on anything. What's the deal? Back in Garden of uh, Eden, right? He, Jesus, God creates everything. Then uh, Satan tempts Adam and Eve to sin. They sin. God comes to, to Adam. Then he comes to Eve. Then he comes to Satan. And what he says to Satan, fascinating. He says a few things and then he looks at Satan in the eye and says, Satan, see this woman over here. One day there will be seed coming from her who you're going to bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Death blow. Now, I'm not, I can't, I can't imagine, I've never been Satan before, but I can't imagine that this is encouraging news to him, right? So he's probably wondering, oh my goodness, okay, I gotta be on the outlook now for this one coming who's gonna crush my head. Next chapter, you get, you get Cain and Abel, right? And maybe he's thinking, okay, it's not gonna be Cain, I got him in my hip pocket, but Abel, righteous Abel. Bible doesn't tell us this, but I wonder if Satan is not the one who kind of encouraged Cain to kill Abel. Well, then he wasn't Abel. We find out in scripture that this one coming to crush Satan's head is gonna be through Abraham, and that's Abraham had several boys. It was gonna be through Isaac, and then he had several boys, but it was coming through the line of Jacob, and he had a bunch of boys. Coming through the line of Judah, and he, of course, had a bunch of boys. And the promise says that this one coming to crush Satan's head is gonna be through the line of David. You know what's fascinating in the Old Testament? How many times the line of David was almost exterminated 
Some heinous, sinister plots almost exterminated. Then you get to New Testament, right? And suddenly, and this is not done in a corner. There's the, God did not try to hide this one. Angels are coming out saying, the one to crush the head of Satan is here right now. He's been born. And so Herod's got a edict that goes out, kill all the babies in Bethlehem, trying to get him. And, and, then, and then Satan comes through Jesus' friend, Peter, and tries to take Jesus out. And then he comes through Judas Iscariot in John 13 and, and, and encourages Judas, feels Judas to betray Jesus. And I can't help but wonder if while Jesus is hanging on the cross, Satan is kind of going, <laughs> the one who was going to crush my head, he's out of here. But we know that with him actually being on the cross, that was the crushing of Satan's head. And then when he rose, Satan's realizing, man, I, I screwed up. Everything is all done. And from that point on, according to scripture, Satan turns all of his energy to Christ's church, to everybody who knows him, everybody who has Christ in him. And so uh, this understanding, now, now Satan is a defeated foe, I got it. Uh, God is sovereign, Satan has to get permission from God before he comes after any one of us. Uh, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Uh, the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. We got all that down. But you need to know, Armageddon is still future. Satan is still left to roam this world and he still has authority in a sense. And, and so we need to, to understand who our enemy is. And the reason why I say this and come, come at this this morning is because I'm pretty convinced that most of our theology about Satan and hell really comes from Hollywood more than it comes from the Bible. It comes from popular literature more than the Bible. And so we just need to understand what does scripture say? And this, of course, could be a multiple point message series, right? And so we're just gonna kinda go a 30,000 foot overview. But we're gonna look at one small section of scripture today. Proverbs 22, or Luke 22, 31 and 32. That's gonna be our jump off section. And I'm guessing you probably have never heard a sermon on this. So if you got your Bibles or you got your device and you got a Bible app, look at, at Luke chapter 22, verses 31, 32. And I think we can get some principles so we, of what the spiritual warfare looks like for us so we can combat it as, as we ought. And uh, just so you know, what's going on here in Luke 22, starting verse 31, I mean, Jesus is just hours. He's on his way to Gethsemane. He's just hours from being betrayed by Judas and hanging on a cross, just hours away. And, and Peter's gonna be the guy who's gonna lead the church. But Peter's really not ready yet, okay? Verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter's original name, actually. Behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Just a couple of sentences, or if you get the NIV, three, three sentences in there, but let's just look at some big ideas with this. First thing to know is Satan will sift, okay? Satan will sift. And you might say, well, hang on, hang on. here we're starting off with a problem because I'm not so sure I believe in Satan. Thank you very much. And it's about half of Americans don't, and we're not terribly, that shouldn't surprise us. But this is a surprising thing. Uh, Barna says 40% of millennial, millennials, guys born between 1980 and 2000, in the evangelical church, 40% of them don't believe 
that Satan is a personal being, that when Satan's talked about in the Bible, it is simply a metaphor for evil. That's it. It's not a personal people. There's all kinds of issues with that one. But, but John chapter 8. Now, this is, this, is, this is huge. If you look at John 8, what you got is Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And uh, Pharisees say, we have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Um, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's the father of lies. Now, just you look at this. Jesus is juxtaposing God the father with Satan. And if Satan is simply a metaphor for evil, he's not real, he's not a real personal being, then God is not a real personal being either. He is just a metaphor for goodness. If you deny Satan, just, just so you know, you probably need to deny the Hollywood version that's been pumped in, the medieval version that's in our head. But if you deny him, you need to know you throw away a lot of scripture. I mean, I mean, Satan's in the very beginning, right? In, in Genesis 3. He's, he's in Numbers. He's in Deuteronomy. He's in 1 Samuel. He's in Psalms. We see him in the oldest book in the Bible, in Job, right? He's front center in Job. Both uh, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, they tell us how he originated. Uh, Daniel had some encounters with the paranormal demonic. You got Zechariah talking specifically about Satan. Then you get to the New Testament, right? He's all over the place in the Gospels. And I've had folks say, listen, how come you don't have a whole lot of manifestation of Satan in the Old Testament and not a whole lot of manifestation of Satan after the Gospels, but Gospels, he's front and center. He's like, all, they're all over the place. Doesn't it make a whole lot of sense? If Satan is looking for this one who's gonna crush his head and all of a sudden word is out, he's here and he's just got a contract out on Satan and he's gonna take over Satan's turf. If I'm Satan, I'm getting a little bit upset about this. Literally, all of hell is unleashed at that point. That's why we see it so much. But Paul talks about Satan as a personal entity who's our enemy. Peter talks about, in Peter's epistles, as a personal entity, Satan, who's our enemy. John, in his letters, talks about Satan as a personal entity. James, Jude, the author of Hebrews. Of course, Revelation's all about Satan. If you want to deny Satan, you throw a lot of scripture out. You just got to throw it. Now, I'm not saying you got to understand it. The pictures we have from Hollywood, whole different issue. We should reject those. Um, two different issues we have when we talk about Satan. One is we, we're either just going to blow him off, he's negligible, he's irrelevant, he doesn't exist, or we obsess, right? You, you met people like that. They just, Satan is behind every clank in the car engine and behind every sniffle. He's hiding in behind every bush, every stupid thing my kid does. We blame it on Satan. We can blame him for all kinds of stuff. Uh, and stuff that I'm not so sure he's responsible for. But C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Both deal. So that, that, uh, either neglecting him or being obsessed with him. 
they're, they're, they're off limits biblically. We ought not to go down that direction. Now, if we look at this fact in Luke 22 that Satan is gonna sift, we, we look a couple of things in verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. You gotta know that Satan's power is limited. He doesn't have uh, free will to just tear us apart whenever he wants. No, 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 he's gotta ask permission. If you got an NIV, it says Satan has asked permission. That word demanded is a word we translate often in scripture for prayed. Satan had to ask. Satan is not an equal God. Satan is kind of an evil God. Satan's like an evil Michael the archangel, okay? God could snap his fingers if he had fingers and totally get rid of Satan. One day he's gonna do that kind of thing, but not right at this moment. Satan's power is limited. Also, you need to know, Satan's power is directed. He's, he's not just going crazy, ah, blowing everything up. That's, that's not his, he's, he's thinking this through. He's, he's after something specific. I think we see it in the text. Satan has demanded that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Satan is after Peter's faith. All believers, he is after your faith. He's not chasing down your health. He's not interested in messing with your 401k. He's not interested in taking out your family per se. If that helps him destroy your faith, yeah, he's after that. But if, if giving abundance there helps him, he's fine with that one as well. Because he doesn't care if the sun shines on your, your boy's eight-year-old outdoor cowboy birthday party. It's not an issue for him. He's after something so much bigger. And it's, and it's interesting, we find in um, Job, we see this really worked out. And there's lots of intersection pieces here. So just kind of look at this for just, just a second, what happens. In Job 1, we're not gonna go over this whole story, it's fascinating, but, but just a little bit. It says, now there was a day, begin verse six of chapter one of Job, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them, and the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns from evil. And of course, Satan has considered Job. Satan said to the Lord, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions. I have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he will curse you uh, to your face. What Satan is after is not Job's possessions. Satan doesn't care if Job has possessions. He's after Job's faith. That's what he's trying to get. And then he's gonna take out Job's possessions. And yet, guess what? Job stands strong. So round two, Satan comes and he takes out Job's health. And guess what? Job stands strong. And Satan changes tactics, and this is key for us. He comes at Job through Job's wife, the one who he's in covenant with, the one who loves him more than anybody else. Job's wife whispers in his ear, curse God. Same words that Satan would use there, and die. And Job stands strong. And then Satan comes at Job through three good Christian friends who are sharing things about God. Some of them are true. Some of them not so true. And that's what almost gets Job. And this, this is key, for, key, 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 key for us. 
how does Satan attack us? Uh, we see it the same way he does Matthew, Matthew 16. He's going to come at, at Jesus. Do we, do we have that? Yeah. And Peter took him aside. See, Jesus had just told Peter, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, die. And so Peter takes him aside and rebukes him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I can think of anything that Jesus could call somebody. If he really wants to call you a bad name, what would be the worst thing that Jesus could call you? Probably Satan, right? Now, 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 notice this text. Peter, to my, to my knowledge, is not like wearing a big old pentagram. He doesn't have this black hood on. To our knowledge, he did not kill his cat this morning, drink some blood, listen to Ozzy Osbourne. His head isn't spinning. He's not levitating. There is nothing that would make us think that Satan is involved with this. How, that's how Hollywood paints it, right? That's not the way scripture paints it. I mean, it looks, doesn't it look like Peter's just a good old boy? He loves Jesus. He's just trying to protect him. What is the problem here? Well, before you diss uh, Jesus' words, before you pour too much love on Peter, just, just notice what he's doing. The Son of God said, this is what's gonna happen. Peter comes to him and, and get, see if you can tell where, where these, I'm gonna say some words, tell me if you've heard these before. You shall not surely die. This is exactly what Satan said to Adam and Eve. I know God said it, but you shall not surely die. This is what Peter's saying to Jesus. Um, this is important for us because Satan's job is not to scare the bejeebers out of us. Matter of fact, matter of fact, to my knowledge, every single time Satan shows up in scripture, never once, never once is there fear. Ah, never once. But if I'm not mistaken, every single time he shows up in Hollywood, there, you are, you are scared to death, aren't you? They got the music going and you are, but that's not scripture. On the opposite, every time angels show up in the Bible, right, they're good guys, but the first thing they gotta say, the poor angel is fear not because the people are quaking and falling apart. Let's us know that we get our angelology and demonology from Hollywood before scripture. But, but Satan's number one attack on us is gonna be through the truth. You know, it's, it's uh, interesting. There's this old time rocker, I'm kind of old, Keith Green. I love Keith Green. Uh, you all might not know who in the world this guy was, but he wrote a song, No One Believes In Me Anymore. Let's listen to some of the words. He says, oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate your brightest light and make your night look just like day. I can put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour and they're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now because no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just a state of mind, my books read on your shelf. And have you heard that God is dead? <laughs> I made that one up myself. They dabble in magic spells and get their fortunes read. You know they heard the truth, but turned away and followed me instead. I used to have to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. You know no one's watching for my tricks uh, uh, because no one believes in me anymore. On and, and on. 2 Corinthians 11. This is, a, this is a cool verse because this is the way Satan comes to us. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself 
as an angel of light. If I've heard Christian folks say, boy, I'm, I don't know about spiritual warfare. I've never been in it. No, 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 no. If you're walking with Christ, you are in it. You just don't know it. You have been experiencing it. You just not might be aware of it. And the way it's coming at you is, is folk on, maybe from the pulpit, but folk in books, folk on the radio, sharing God's word, twisted just a little bit, just to derail your faith. That's how the spirit, that's why we have such an emphasis on the word of God here because it's imperative that we understand clearly what, it's, what it says, how it impacts us. So uh, Satan is gonna sift. It's not like one day this might happen to me in the future. No, 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 no. Satan knows your name. You've got, a, you've got a target around your neck when you come to Christ. You are on his radar and to think that he's gonna just get around to you one day, oh no, 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 no. He's a, sift happens, right? You wanna get a bumper sticker. Sift happens because it happens. It's not like it might one day, it's, it is. We need to be alert, we need to be alert. You know, 30 years after the situation, Peter's gonna write, he's gonna say, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's writing that not to non-Christians, to Christians. So we gotta be, have the, the right mindset. So, so Satan's gonna sift. But, 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 but let's, 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 there's, there's more, there's more. So Satan will sift, however, let's read it again. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Uh, Satan's gonna sift, Jesus will pray. And you might initially say, uh, really, Jesus? Really, really, is that the best you can do for me? I mean, really? I mean, Satan is going to attack me with everything you got? You're gonna like pray for me? Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. But uh, I wish you could do just a little bit more. Scripture says that right now what Jesus is doing, his number one job is to pray for us. That's what he does. Prays all the time, he's praying. And sometimes we think, you know, in his first advent, Jesus was really busy. You know, he had to be born and there were miracles and teaching and, and combating, you know, demons and the Sanhedrin and casting out stuff and he had to be crucified and he was busy. And then his second advent, when he comes back, oh man, he's gonna, Armageddon's going on and there's a rapture and a bema seat and a marriage feast of the lamb and great white throne judgment. There's all kinds of big stuff that's happening. Jesus is gonna be busy. So right now in this gap, I can imagine that he's probably, you know, resting. He's taking it easy, kicking back a little bit and praying a little bit, kind of killing time. We just need to know Jesus does not kill time. Let me say something that's kind of, I don't know if it's controversial or not. I don't think so. Jesus' intercessory work, his prayer work, is as critical for your salvation as his atoning work. Jesus praying for you is as critical for your salvation as his dying for you. Yep, his dying and resurrection, that's how we're justified. It's only through his prayer life that we stay that way though. That, that he sustains us that way. If left to yourself, you think you're a match for hell? No, no, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Um, Jesus, boy, there's a lot we can do. But, but Hebrews 7.25, I don't have this one on the screen, but just, just listen to this one for a second because this is key. Hebrews 7.25, it says, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost or save completely or keep them safe, right? He is able to save to the uttermost 
those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' prayer life is what keeps us. And I can admit, Peter here is, is saying, if we follow the text, Peter's saying, oh, no, 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 Lord, thanks very much, but pray for something else. I don't need it. You don't understand my faith. It's pretty strong. And if the entire Roman army was coming against me right now, I would stand up and die. And doesn't say this, but I can imagine Jesus saying, you know, you know Peter, I think that's true. I think if the only issue we had here was the entire Roman army, you'd stand up. But we're dealing with something a little bit bigger than that here. And Peter, you don't understand two things. You don't understand how weak your faith is. If any of us think our faith is so doggone strong, Satan doesn't stand a chance against us. All I can say is he thinks he stands. Take heed lest he... I got a list on my desktop of all kinds of folk whose faith seemed to be very, very strong who have crashed and burned. So don't be thinking, I'm beyond this. Um, Peter didn't know how weak his faith was. He didn't know how strong hell was. But you need to know this. This is fat. This is so good. Because when Jesus prays for his church, first of all, he always prays in uh, the will of God. I mean, he always nails it. Sometimes I pray, I'm not exactly sure what God's will is. Lord, should I go to Toledo or should I go to Buffalo? I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, I don't know. You know, should my kid go to college here or there? I, I, I honestly don't know. Should, what should I do, what shouldn't I do? There's times I pray, I just don't know. Jesus knows. Every time he prays, he prays according to the will of God. And get this, every single prayer he prays for his church is answered. There is nothing safer for us than to have Jesus praying for us. That's, so that's a good thing. So Satan's gonna sift. Uh, fear, that's never, we always respect Satan, but we now fear him, that's a Hollywood thing. Um, Jesus is gonna pray, that's our confidence. We need to be strong, we need to be alert, but Jesus praying there, there is our confidence. But then there's a third piece here, and that is Satan's gonna sift. Uh, Jesus is going to pray, and then you, if you know Christ, will win. Look what he says. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You know, a normal question at this point is, uh, how come Jesus granted Satan permission I mean, I mean, uh, Jesus, I know you're not looking for my counsel and all, but if Satan ever comes to you and he mentions my name, let me tell you what the, how you answer that one. He wants to shift, sift me like wheat. This is your answer. No. Can you say this with me, Jesus? No, that would be easy enough. Then Jesus doesn't have to pray and I don't have to be sifted. That sounds like a great winner. Why does Jesus give Satan permission to sift us sometimes? And there's probably lots of different reasons and many of them we don't know, but I think we see at least one of them here in the text and it's the same one we pick up from the story of Job. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter's not in a position yet to strengthen his brothers. Peter's gonna be leading the church, but right now he's not ready. And Jesus, this is like 1159, right? Jesus is just, he's going to the cross in just a few hours and Peter's not ready to take over. Because Peter, see, if you've read the text in context, Peter's a bit cocky. Peter's thinking it's all about his strength. And he's going to protect Jesus, not Jesus protect him. And he's going to die for Jesus, not Jesus die for him. And he's so wise and he understands. And Peter's thinking, if you follow the text, Peter's got this spiritual superiority complex. These other bozos are going to fail you, but not me. I'm, he's got this inferiority complex for others. These guys are weak. These guys are losers, but not me. 
And Jesus knows, oh, for crying out loud, I'm getting ready to die and this guy's gonna take over. Peter, you're not ready. And so the sifting process, it's gonna act like spiritual chemotherapy. It's gonna almost kill him. But there's a lot of yuck that has to be eradicated. It's gonna make him dependent. And this is, this is so, I think this is so cool. Satan has to get permission from Jesus before there's any sifting going on. Sometimes Jesus grants it, but with every sifting process, everyone, the purpose in Christ's mind is to purify. And if we look to him and if we seek him while we're going through it, we'll be purified. We'll be better equipped to do what he's called us to do. We were not ready to do what he's called us to do until we go through that in some, in some ways. And so just know if you're going through a sifting process, and it can look a lot of different ways. It can be hard times. Job went through some hard things, right? It can be good times. You're just hearing words from other people that are just uh, not exactly right. And we know, we got some good Christian friends who love us so much, they'll tell us what we want to hear. I don't care if the person's wearing a collar or what. It's not, it's not who says it, it's what they say. And Jesus lets us know that in the middle of that sifting process, he's praying for us. If we make it through that sifting, we will be stronger because of it. You know, it's um, interesting. Let's close on this. Satan's name means accuser. It's accuser, which is interesting to me. We see it in Revelation. We see it in Zechariah 3. It's fascinating. Zechariah 3, he's coming before the throne of God. And there's this guy there, there's Joshua, not the one who fit the battle of Jericho, different Joshua. And Satan's throwing all kinds of things. Oh yeah, this guy, God, let me tell you about this guy. And starts naming his bad things. And Revelation says that that's what he does to us. And I wonder, I wonder when Satan stands before the throne of God and he's bringing up my name and he starts to accuse me before God of some things, what does he say? Well, here, here you need to know this. Satan is probably not making anything up. At that point, he's probably very truthful. I mean, he, does, he doesn't, I've given him more information, more, I filled his arsenal. He doesn't have to make up stuff. Oh God, there's Harris selling heroin again to street kids. He doesn't have to go down that road. He can start listing the stuff. Let's talk about the times he was disobedient. Let's talk about his thoughts. Let's talk about his laziness. Let's talk about his blaming. Let's talk about his jealousy. Let's talk about his pettiness. Satan's got all kinds of stuff. He could be busy for forever before God. But this is what scripture says. On one level, he's 100% true. He's justified in, in accusing. But scripture says this, that, that for those who are in Christ, this is the whole deal. When, when Jesus died, God took all of those things that Satan would accuse me of and put them on the back of Christ. So Satan's saying, oh yeah, God, what about this? And, and Jesus kind of stands up and says, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. I paid for that one. Huh. Well, what about that? No, 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 no. I paid for that one too. There is nothing that Satan can accuse. If you're in Christ, there is nothing he can accuse you of that Jesus hadn't paid for it. Now, of course, the scary part with that is if you don't know Christ, I'm sure you're like me. You've given hell a massive arsenal of stuff to, to accuse and he'll accuse and you won't have Jesus stand up saying, no, no, I paid for that because he hadn't, because you haven't trusted him. And so first application, if you, we don't need to be afraid of Satan. Don't be, it's not a scriptural thing. Don't, we gotta respect him, don't be afraid of him. But if you don't know Christ, that's what he wants to do. Like Brian was saying earlier, he wants to take away. That's the whole purpose of the communion thing. It's a symbol of his death and resurrection to take away those things that Satan might accuse us with. And then secondly, 
if you are going through the sifting process, and you will between now and the time you see him face to face, uh, just know Jesus is praying for your confidences in him and, and lean in him knowing that through this, he's equipping you to serve him more purely. Would you, would you pray with me? Lord, there's so much good about salvation that we don't even think about. We don't even know. We're just scratching the surface. And you've delivered us from hell. You've taken our sins. You've delivered us from our, our enemy. But in this life, God, as we constantly being bombarded by him, I pray that you'd give us wisdom, that you would help us to, to lean into your truth, that we would view our, our relationship in this, in this world with you, with, with, with hell, through your eyes. Lord, that Jesus would be glorified. I pray that. If there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, I, I would ask that your spirit would be working on their heart and mind, just reminding them, helping them see, open eyes. I would pray that that would be so. And God, as we go through this, this world between now and the time we see you face to face, might you remind us of what Peter would say, that we're to be sober and vigilant, we're to be on the outlook, we're gonna be looking, that we might not fall into his schemes. I would pray that in the name of Jesus, amen.